Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What does it mean to be out on Earth? Join three friends as we explore the enchanting, hilarious, and unusual interconnections between society, ecology, and queerness. My name is Cricket. My pronouns are she, they. My name is Ashton. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm Forrest, and I use any pronouns. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Today we're talking about... Gay penguins. Polyamorous birds. <laughs> what more do you need? This is the gay penguins episode. Yes. We've been advertising for very, 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 very long. But also it's a lot of other things. It's our Valentine's Day special. It's our queer love We're extravaganza. Here. We are. And we have um we have a guest. Ah, guest, guest, oh guest, my guest, God, guest. Who? <laughs> who could it be? Hi, my name's Forrest Floor. I'm a Northern New York slash Western Massachusetts based drag artist, queer farmer, intersectional environmentalist, student, other labels. I'm a sibling. I'm a human. I'm a <laughs> I'm a lot of things. Um, and I'm a person who's excited to be here today. Um, you are just just ethereal yeah literally ethereal literally we are just like so enamored by miss forest floor and we're just so excited to talk about um queer love today queer love in nature Mm -hmm. everything valentine's day before we do that though (gasps) i think we have to thank some people so yeah we do i'm gonna thank the thank the patrons real quick we got a new Uh, one we do have a new one yeah so thank you to our patrons scamp neo roxy remy adig mr pickles veronica l (laughs) bailey veda greg jenko 
Katonk One, Kelly Erickson, Shelly DeVost, Kelly and Jackie Adams, Carly Langua, 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 Clem Vara, Maggie Ahern, Mary, Lena Sue, Shell Wagner, Wyatt Armstrong, Stephanie Joseph, OK Dad, and the original Young Mustard. Wow. Wow. Thank y'all so much. Thank you guys. Sending you each a forehead kiss. Yeah. We love you. Thank you for course. being a part of this and yes. welcome to the show. Yes. So, Forrest, um, how would you explain your art? I would love to just kind of like introduce the listeners to your art because I feel like that was, I mean, I just like literally found you on Instagram. Like we found each other on Instagram and we've been just like, fans and mutuals for so long and Mm -hmm. um i just want to like give you a chance to um highlight the amazing things that you create yeah thank you um i feel like forest is a lot of things what i like to do and what i'm most excited about with my drag is kind of drawing from the history of drag as a queer art form and social justice movement and kind of pushing that into a new lens and a new direction and like environmental justice is something that's like so central to my drag and like what stories can I tell about the way humans are in relationship with the environment through Mm -hmm. this medium like Mm -hmm. as a structure is something I really like doing And, and you know that manifests in like the visual presentation as well like what does it mean to create sustainably and to use um like eco-conscious materials and materiality Mm. um especially with like drag um inherently tending so so close to maximalism I think it's really important to be like also kind of naming that maximalism and and um and like aesthetic appeal isn't something that's um exclusive to drag but also Mm -hmm. just like countless forms of queer expression yeah 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 and I I think drag is something that we have spoken about on this podcast Mm -hmm. but we haven't really engaged with the art um in this sort of way before Mm -hmm. and it's just really exciting to me and i think um especially the point about maximalism like i wanted to ask you do you see like in the space where you perform and like the space where you feel most comfortable in your drag with others who create similar art do you see trends towards like more maximalism or do you see kind of like this change maybe where people are more um, more engaged with like the sustainability of the art? Because I do feel like I, we recognize and we see these intersections between like queer art forms and nature and like taking mm-hmm. care of both of those things in the same world. Mm-hmm. But like I know that like with the popularity of drag, I feel like being, you know, like a TV show and like it's mm-hmm. just much more popularized like do you think that has made like more of a positive or a negative impact on that ability to like be more sustainable in the art sorry that was a lot but no i think that um i think that naming RuPaul's drag race as something that's like really changed the the sphere of what drag looks like and yeah. what drag aesthetics look like mm. um is really important um 
and how drag race kind of presents this idea of like maximalism to the max mm-hmm. and um it, it has a heavy emphasis on materiality that isn't all that drag is and isn't all that drag has ever been. Mm-hmm. And I also really want to kind of point to and challenge this idea that um, maximalism and sustainability are are mutually exclusive mm-hmm. and that they can't coexist. Because mm-hmm. I think of like certain drag artists that I'm really inspired by, like crystal method like Mm. she does things that are very crafty Mm -hmm. very resourceful um a lot of her work is like thrifted secondhand Mm -hmm. handmade all these sorts of things that are very maximalist um but also challenge the notion of materiality and the maximalism i know um like your pod has a large following in the fiber arts community and like I think that like fiber arts are something that are are both inherently maximalist and mm-hmm. in alignment with sustainability. Mm. And yeah, I, I I just wanted to kind of challenge that binary and I feel like we're going to be doing a lot of challenging of binaries. <laughs> that is what we do best. That is here. what we like to do. Yeah, that is our favorite thing. And Thank you oh for your challenging. All the nuance. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> bitches hate nuance, but here we love it. So Thank you for bringing that up. I think um that's definitely something that I have not thought about in that lens before. Yeah, I mean, I've done projects where like I spend a dollar on materials, period. Mm-hmm. Everything else is like that's dope. handed that's so down badass. or gifted. That's and then dope. I just spend 25 hours at the sewing machine making <laughs> this gorgeous opulent water gown. A local like, biological woman runs to the crafts, uh, to the Dollar Tree, spins a dollar and whips up a gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> feminine outfit. <laughs> Real. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think the creativity of... Of not just drag, of a lot of things comes out of the cre- creative cris- constraints and mm. um, kind of mm. <clears throat> opting for the ones that are going to be the most personally and spiritually fulfilling for me means um, like how do I how do I express myself? How do I create in this way that's so queer and also doing good for the earth. I think like as a queer community, we've been constrained in a lot of ways. And so Mm. just to see drag as an art form, like break those constraints and start to like break these constraints of maximalism and opulence, you know, like you think of the all-stars look when they go back to drag race and now they've got a bunch of extra money and they can like make these insane outfits and stuff. And so I really just appreciate you challenging those and also just like you and queens like Patagonia and you know, all of those just challenging those norms. Pretty Mother. dope. Mother, truly. Love her. <laughs> okay, so I guess um, we've talked about, like, the sustainability of your art, but I also am so intrigued by the way that you kind of combine, like, the intersection of queerness and your art with nature. Mm-hmm. And you not mm-hmm. only use um, materials that are, like a dollar or you use materials that are like sustainable and have been crafted and creatively transformed mm-hmm. in your unique way but you also use those materials to create like just like stunning mm-hmm. um characters mm-hmm. that reflect 
nature and I think specifically like insects I feel like you do a lot of like butterfly Mm. moth kind of (laughs) stuff so I was just wondering like where you pinpoint that intersection between nature and queerness and like what that means to you I'm thinking of like um a couple different things like the avenues that my performances tend to go down Mm -hmm. yeah also like like I've talked to like the visual elements of my drag a little bit um and then and then there's the queer ecology of it all Mm -hmm. right right? um but like yeah in performance what I find most exciting doing lately is um taking like a classic like drag drag number Mm. and then putting a spin on in it changing the narrative Mm -hmm. and kind of making my own story out of it recently i did a number that was i have nothing by whitney houston Mm -hmm. as like a mother nature-esque gaia sort of character Mm -hmm. who's kind of grappling with with her baby with humankind mm-hmm. um who she's holding in her arms and like having to let go of and like it got kind of existential <laughs> in like a climate dread kind of direction yeah. that ended in um her murdering the baby um <laughs> Oh my god! But it was like so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and there's that there's that bit of gore that is very that is both camp and drag and queer inherently. Mm-hmm. For sure. I'm clicking my pen, which is probably like horrible for the audience. So I'm gonna try not <laughs> to do okay. that. I also have really been enjoying um performing slam poetry. Okay. Lately. Yeah, I guess I can get more into that piece a a little bit later because it ties in a lot with what I'm going to be talking about Mm. in terms of words of affirmation Mm. but um, kind of like an expansive power of queer relationality that Mm. I've been finding through through that Mm -hmm. performance practice but yeah that's wonderful yeah. i would love to come to one of your shows if we're ever ah, around there we must we will be there we absolutely will <laughs> that sounds amazing and another question i wanted to ask was where did sort of your passion for environmental justice come from um was did drag come before that or was environmental justice before drag like which one came first i kind of grew up in like immersed in nature like I would spend my summers like in the Adirondacks like Mm. most of the time Mm. and just like swimming and hiking Mm -hmm. and running and like not going not going inside till it gets dark out again Mm. and like in the woods and the forest Mm. floor Subtle plug. So, like, my love and connection for the more-than-human world has, like, always been there. Mm. And I feel, like, really ramped up in, like, high school, tackling becoming an Adirondack 46er, which Mm. is, like, achievement in outdoor recreation locally that, like, you hiked the 46 tallest mountains in New York State. That's, like, a cool... That's amazing. That is really cool. Holy shit. Yeah. 
Damn. Yeah. I think we've got like four mountains in Oklahoma. So I could, I could not imagine. That's Hence like 46. the tornado warning. Yeah, right. no, literally. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, like that becoming a really big part of my life. Um, and like, I was vegan for a long time and like placed like heavy consciousness on like the individualist decisions that mm. I was making mm-hmm. and how they would right. impact the environment mm-hmm. um, in kind of a way that became um, like self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. I totally relate to that. 100%, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the obligatory then, vegan phase that every environmental yeah. justice it's so hard. <laughs> I tried it and it didn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but kind of moving through that and now being more so in a place where like, how can I use my passion for the environment and my creativity to um, empower others instead of thinking just um, introspectively about like what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. How do I how do I take on a more community based lens and um, push like a social justice movement toward change that's yeah. going to be a lot more impactful and mm. a lot longer lasting than whatever I can do yeah. just on my own. Yeah. Personal agency through community action for sure. 100 percent. And I think that's like honestly a perfect segue into what we're going to be talking about today because it's like we especially I think just in our generation a lot of the ways that we have been introduced to like um, environmental justice and topics of like environmental science is Mm. through the lens of like pain and destruction Mm. and like just feeling guilt Mm. and taking on that personal individual responsibility and so like I think today we're going to be talking about how we can especially um, if you've experienced um, love if you've found love through queer community, how you can also find a loving relationship with nature through those intersections. Mm. And I'm so fucking excited. Like, we are basically going to be taking a trip through the five love languages. Mm. Um, mm. And then <laughs> and with each one, we've all prepared a little a little bit. A blurb. That, a blurb about a series of animals and insects and whatever and just we're gonna it's a queer ecology variety show and Mm -hmm. so excited to bring this to y'all so i'm going to start out for us with the history of the (laughs) love languages so um we kind of had this little like planning session where we were like what are we gonna do and we were like love languages that's perfect so i then learned that um the love languages have a homophobic origin. So I thought we'd talk about that very briefly. <laughs> no! I know, I know. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> yes, it gagged us all. Yeah, so in 1992, there's this Baptist pastor, Dr. Gary Chapman. He thinks he's all that. And he comes up with the five love languages, <laughs> which are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And I feel like I have heard about these so much. Like, I've heard about them just from friends. We talked about it, like, I swear in my um, intro to college course, like, learning how to make friends. I've talked about it in therapy. Like, Mm -hmm. my therapist has brought it up. So it is, like, embedded in the culture regardless Mm -hmm. of where it comes from. Um, 
But I did want to say that, like, Mr. Mr. Chapman emphasizes that there most people only have, like, two love languages, which is, like, giving and receiving, putting love into this, like, binary box. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it is just two, like, there's also just five. Mm-hmm. And so today we're kind of going to break apart these assumptions, finding examples of these love languages. Um, but through queer relationships with nature and with each other. And um, in that way, it's kind of like a big middle finger to this homophobe. Boris, what, what are your love languages? Oh, gosh. Um, what are my love languages? <laughs> I feel like it's different contextually. For sure. Um, yeah, 100%. I feel like the most consistent ones, though, are quality time mm-hmm. and words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. What about you, Fugu? I think we have exactly the same. What are yours? Ones. What are yours? I need words of affirmation you, yes. consistently. Yes. And so do you. Yeah. And Down. I give gifts. Yeah, I would say <laughs> words of affirmation for myself and either acts of service or gift giving because I think that those are like pretty. I know. Inner and I'll get into gift giving as like kind of a weird one. Yeah. Well, I mean. It, but you can give gifts that aren't like you know yeah like i'm gonna give you an apple watch right you know? like i think of like baking somebody a loaf of bread as like an act of service slash gift giving right exactly you know? and so. that's where like he created a binary between those two yeah where, where there's not one of one. them is like based in consumption and the other one is like based in service yeah. but maybe they're the same thing maybe i guess we'll find out i guess we will <laughs> What do our what does theory say about queer love in nature? Um, so this is like one of my favorite things to research in undergrad. Um, and so I wrote a couple of papers about it. And a couple of the biggest theories that came through were first the theory of biopower, which is an extension of biopolitics. Um, it's a system coined by Foucault in 1976. It's called The History of Sexuality was the book that he coined this in. But basically, uh, biopolitics and biopower describe the ways in which power is used to manage large populations of people. Um, In this context specifically, biopower refers to the anatomopolitics. Never heard that before. what is that? (laughs) Anatomopolitics. And it's weird. I've never seen that term before. But of societal disciplinary institutions and how they are used to control and define what the human body is and the appropriate forms that it may take. Um, so, you so know. explain that to me like I'm a fifth grader. So basically, this is saying that institutions of societal disciplinary, like discipline, so what would be like the police force, our justice system, or injustice system, depending on how you look at it. Okay. Um, so that would be how those things police the general population into the norms that it's comfortable with okay rather than whatever we want to express ourselves as okay um and so these systems of biopower are what have historically allowed people with more power um to police marginalized communities and bodies and have othered forms of sexuality outside of taxonomic norms um and which is what i'm getting into next um so sort of our theories and uh methods of classification of species um, a lot of the times has to do with observable characteristics and a lot of the times we are not taking into account sort of what we can't see Mm -hmm. Um, but taxonomy was originated by Carl Linnaeus Um, he's known as the father of modern taxonomy 
and this is in 1735. So Damn. it features a two-part name to classify species of organisms in which the names are both Latin, the first one denoting a genus and the, genus and the second one denoting a species. Okay. Um, so this has served as a tool for scientific classification, allowing scientists to separate and identify species based on common characteristics. But sort okay. of as we've discussed on the pod, um, large broad systems of classification tend to have many pitfalls and often overlook large swaths of people who are often very diverse and lie outside of sort of the norms that are given within taxonomic classifications. Okay. So we have this system of power mm -hmm. that is reinforcing this other Taxon system of mm -hmm. classification mm -hmm. that ignores the diversity and spectrum of life. Yes. So like okay. so much so that like taxonomy didn't have a kingdom for fungi until relatively mm. recently so like that's kind of one of my biggest point is like we had to create an entirely different taxonomic kingdom for fungus because of their unusual morphologies that like we didn't see before okay so obviously that system like wasn't serving and we were able to sort of broaden that to envelop more people but more people more species um, but I still think that this often overlooks sexual and gender diversity within species. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's my um, my theory rant. Theory corner with Ashton. Yeah. Thank you. Conspiracy Thank you for the corner theory. next. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and that's why gay people love mushrooms. Gay people love mushrooms. Right. Yeah. We're little mushrooms. <laughs> we're a little mycelium network. Love. Okay. Thank you so much for that preface. I am now going to talk about love. Um, and we read bell hooks all about love mm -hmm. um which i think i'm gonna read every valentine's day because it's just a great like i don't know uh reminder of what love is mm -hmm. and especially around valentine's day i think it's so like i don't know i love valentine's day i know you don't but i think Forrest, that... <laughs> what are your thoughts on valentine's day <laughs> you know i don't know that's fair i i i've never been in a relationship on valentine's day mm -hmm. um which i think definitely colors it um for sure and like i could see it feeling really special um in that context but yeah yeah to me it hasn't really ever yeah i don't know and i think that makes sense and i think that speaks to like the exclusion of what valentine's day mm. has become or is or maybe what it always is i don't know Galentine's the history of valentine's and day Palentine's. right exactly and i would love for valentine's day to just be a day that you celebrate love yeah and um i think it's always been kind of like something that my family celebrates like valentine's day for my family is bigger than um most holidays what? like christmas and really? whatever like all of my family gets together and we just like that's eat wild a bunch of food um I've and we celebrate love hmm. and i think that's great and we don't need to like i think it's especially heteronormative as well like the hmm. cards the um the items that you buy hmm. it's also super like capitalistic like yo you have to engage in these like consumption behaviors to be like a part of valentine's day mm -hmm. but i do think that we'd need a day a month a year to like think about love think on love mm -hmm. and if this is the opportunity to do that then i'm here for it no matter where it exists whether yeah. that's like love with your partner your family nature 
your cats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, we went there next. I do love um, my cat. So that's kind of like what, where this episode is going, I think. And so I have um, a quote that kind of expands on like this definition of love from bell hooks they say that affection is only one ingredient of love to truly love we must learn to mix various ingredients uh care affection recognition respect commitment and trust as well as honest and open communication and um they also talk a lot about learning what love is by um understanding what it means to live without it um, defining love through lovelessness and like what dysfunctional love is. Mm-hmm. And um, they say if one's goal is self-recovery, to be well in one's soul, honestly and realistically, confronting lovelessness is part of our healing process. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for many, our loving relationship with nature is dysfunctional. And there's so many systems and things in place that have caused us to like separate ourselves from that mm-hmm. loving relationship. Um, and that's, we talk about all the time. That's Mm -hmm. what every single episode is about. But um, I think that, um, specifically for this one, like my question is how can we address dysfunctional love with nature in order to experience the love that we seek? And for those of us that have found love in queer relationships, friendships, family structures, um, recognizing the queerness of nature can help us restore this relationship. So... With that, this is our Queer Ecology Variety Show. We're going to give so many different examples of queer love in nature. And um, hopefully this will help you kind of like restore that relationship with um, with love, mm. with nature, with everything around you. Yeah. So without further ado, ad break. Ad break. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, are you enjoying the episode? Well, it's brought to you by our Patreon. We are a fully independent self-funding podcast and we wouldn't be able to make any of it without our earthlings on Patreon. We currently have two tiers that you can join. For just $1 a month, you'll unlock ad-free bonus and video episodes. And for $5, you'll get both of those things as well as early releases and access to the community discord. You can join using the link in the description or going to patreon.com slash outonearthpod. We understand that not everyone can pay for Patreon, but if you wouldn't mind rating our show wherever you're listening and giving us a follow, that helps us out so much. Okay, that's it. Let's get back to the show. Hey. 
we're back. We're back from an ad break. <laughs> slash poetry break. Yeah, yeah, we had an ad break poetry slam yeah. moment. It was really fun. My brain feels fed in a way that it has not been fed in for so long. Mother is feeding us. I no know. crumbs left. Exactly. <laughs> I feel fed. <laughs> but um, I think I think now what we're gonna do is dive into the specific love languages um, for each one. We're gonna talk about an animal and their relationship structures and sort of how that is queer. Um, so I'll go ahead and start first with physical touch. Um, Forrest actually pointed me in the direction of these bighorn sheep. Um, so this information comes from a book called Evolution's Rainbow, which just talks about like the insane amount of diversity that there is in nature. Like uh, I found the PDF Okay, um, book. It's, oh, book, period, bitch. <laughs> um, it is incredible. I only read a few spots of it uh, just because it's a book. It's a full book. And I we've been researching for, what, a week and a half? And Mama doesn't read that fast. Um, but incredible. Incredible. Um, so anyways, bighorn sheep. So these are found in the Rockies and up into Canada. Um, two scientists cited a paper on a homosexual cattle and wrote, it is commonly accepted that male-on-male mounting of prepubertal animal what is a horrible word prepubertal animals prepubescent animals is important in the development of rear orientation in mount interactions so <gasps> basically this is saying that like they bighorn sheep male bighorn sheep mount each other and do some gay shit because this is how they're practicing to do the heterosexual shit Okay. Not, no. Not only gay, not only gay shit, but full penetrative anal sex. Oh, they're going into it. I've seen yeah. this. Wait. The reason why I gasped is because I've seen this in real life, Wait, and you... I didn't realize that I have. Did you? Were they both men? Yes. Honestly, work. I was. It was in high school. I was in the in Yellowstone. What? How did... Those are bighorn sheep, right? I don't. I don't know. I've never been to Well, I saw it and I took a picture of it. Why did you? They were having a moment. They were. Well, I mean, like. <laughs> that's, I was, that's voyeuristic. <laughs> no. <laughs> did you ask for their consent? I did not. Mm. I'm sorry. Cool. But I thought it was great at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> I don't think that those sheep had any awareness to the fact that they were being photographed. So. There we go. Maybe if they did, they would have struck a little pose or something. I mean, I they, they did. Uh, they were. They, they were posed. They were posed. They, they were posed. <laughs> we, we know this to be true. So so that's my that's my blurb on the bighorn sheep. But this, this next two um, are super fun. So the first one is bottlenose dolphins. Um, they're obsessed with gay foreplay. Um, so specifically amongst Obsessed. they really are Obsessed. <laughs> um, so specifically male juveniles um, tend to do it they will form these things called super alliance polyads in which they will protect one each one of like one another damn that came out hard um, and so it'll be a bunch of men just swimming around and if somebody tries to attack them they'll all like defend each other um, and going off of that, they also engage in an array of behaviors that we would classify kind of as foreplay. Um, and I, I want to note that I know that I am anthropomorphizing them in this moment. Um, right. But, you know, it's just for context and clarity's sake. Um, so one of them 
It's called goosing. It's when a dolphin's beak comes in contact with the other's genitals. Uh, another one's called push-ups, where the dolphin will use its head to push up into the genitals of the dolphin above it. And then the last one is called sociosexual petting, um, where they use their pectoral fins, so their back fins, to brush, brush up against um, genitals of the other dolphin. Okay. Actually, dors- they are obsessed dorsal with fins, foreplay. Dorsal fins are black. Yeah, back fins. Pectoral, yeah, are the, pectoral. Little, the little side girls. Yeah. <laughs> it's a- um so yeah and so while these behaviors are like inherently sexual they do serve to strengthen social bonds between the dolphins increasing the integrity of the super alliances or those like polyads that i talked about earlier um and last but not least this is my favorite one this is um a fungus commune known as schizophyllum commune i actually (laughs) i actually got this from Patagonia, because she posted something about it pretty recently. Um, so when schizophyllum start to reproduce, they do these things called clamp connections, where there's a transfer of genetic information from one cell to another. But these are not penetrative. Um, they simply just touch each other. Okay. And a cell or the genetic information passes between the cell walls. And so there's no penetration whatsoever. Mm. And so I thought it was interesting to Whoa. sort of mention this because not all sex is penetrative and there yeah. are many, many different forms of sex um, beyond that. And so seeing this, you know, represented in nature, I thought was kind of important. Um, and then, yeah, OK, sorry, I kind of like jumped through all of those because I had like a page and a half that I needed to get through, but I'm done. That was physical touch, y'all. Yeah, they be touching each other. They be touching. Real. <laughs> touching, loving. <laughs> All right. I think we're acts of service. That's me. Hi. That's you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I just want to, yeah, I want to sit with, for like one moment, like the idea of like um, penetrative sex not being the only, and like that that exists not only um, within human communities and queer communities, but also more than human Mm-hmm. And all the ways that you've just illuminated. And I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. First, the language that I have to present about is acts of service. Um, and I think I want to start with bonobos. Um, mm. Bonobos are very, they're very present in like conversations on queer ecology. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's for a couple reasons. One is that they are so closely evolutionarily related to us as humans mm-hmm. um, and often like called our closest evolutionary ancestors. But mm-hmm. I think another aspect of why they're such a big part of the discourse is kind of the biopower politics that Ashton was um, introducing to us to earlier. Mm-hmm. Um just in the ways like through the 18th and 19th centuries, scholars of the natural sciences were um, so prone to like projecting our mm. human social norms onto mm. primates specifically because, mm-hmm. because they drew mm-hmm. such strong parallels to the way we organize our bodies, the way we move, the way we... Mm interact Mm -hmm. with others but bonobos are not only um unilaterally pansexual and have both hetero and 
queer sex multiple times throughout the day up to every hour or two. Damn. Um, but they also use sex as uh, to fill a social role as well in terms of like building connections with uh, with each other. And I get there's a gray area between acts of service and quality time that I'm kind of treading on here. Mm. But the biggest thing that I want to talk wanted to talk to um, is the female bonobos are in charge of the colony's food supply and kind of managing and rationing um, how many food community or how much food communities members get and they will take sexual favors for larger food rations <laughs> and having a close relationship with the food keeper could mean that you get more food as a bonobo. Um, Sex work in the bonobo community. I know, uh, it's so real. I love. Yeah. So that's just like a really interesting case of acts of service um, as love and kind of gift giving too. Yeah. These, these love languages are in a lot of ways an amorphous blob that kind yeah. of feed in and out of each other. But yeah. And then the other one that I'm really intrigued by is clownfish. Mm. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Finding Nemo lied to you. Um, <laughs> all clownfish are actually born female. And as they come to sexual maturity, some of them go through a, a transition, a sexual transition um, mm. toward becoming sexually viable males um, in addition to sexually viable females that then reproduce with each other. Um, in the event of the loss of the mother of the school, the father will then retransition back to being a sexually mature female. That's cool. So you could imagine some of the things that Marlon was going through um, after his <laughs> wife was murdered by the Barracuda. That must have been like really, oh my God. really difficult and traumatic for, for her. <laughs> she had to transition and then be a single parent. Right. Yeah, like just imagine the weight of being a newly single parent, chasing your lost child across <laughs> the ocean, and also going through HRT at the same time. Yeah. Like what a labor of love that is. <laughs> this you is the Finding I mean? Nemo remake that no, we need. Nemo is queer. Finding Nemo is always queer. What the fuck, Ellen? I thought you might. Is Ellen? <laughs> I can't believe no, Ellen, Ellen forgot. <laughs> she did. <laughs> um, oh, Ellen. I thought we could trust Ellen to tell the real queer stories, we but I guess Ellen not. Should. We can't trust her. That centrist ass bitch. <laughs> ah! um, Jesus Christ. No, I, I, I wonder if um, the filmmakers at Pixar were privy to this information. I trust that they would be if it was accessible information at the time, mm. because I feel like they're really well-researched filmmakers that make, mm. like, really beautiful and aware creative stories um mm. but it's interesting to think about like if if that that part of the biological narrative was opted against for this story because that's both like spreading misinformation and also kind of painting an ecologically queer lens as one that might not be appropriate for children mm -hmm. which is yeah an interesting nuance to think about there yeah um hmm. yeah 
now we're yeah. getting to like the the gender politics of finding Nemo. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> now I want to do crazy. the gender politics of finding Dory. <laughs> well, he said, "Well, <laughs> let's get into it." He said, "We got time." Oh, blue tangs have orgies. Love. Where? <laughs> I mean, also anthropomorphizing them, but like basically, in effect, an orgy. Yeah. Yeah. And that that was something I was thinking about um, through both of y'all's little stories is like how the way that we're defining queerness is through the way that maybe through, I don't know if ta- the taxonomy is the word, but like through the systems of biopower that you talked about, how we've defined mm-hmm. like sex in animals, mm-hmm. we have to like first define them through that binary to then Mm-hmm. recognize that it's queer mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's to me there's just like so many like barriers to mm-hmm. to that because when you start recognizing that it's queer then you're like wait if it's queer then is there a binary in this relationship like are they transitioning from male to female or we and just if project. so yeah like what does that even mean to us and to them like do they think about it like that like no like so it is that anthropomorphizing uh. of it and and yeah, it, I think I, it just exposes it all as more queer, mm-hmm, you know, because no. we can't ask those questions in a way that is like, stable. And I don't know. sets the stage for like an actual conversation. Like I can't just talk to a fish. I think you as a scientist have probably thought about that more. Um, yeah. Um, I kind of want to <laughs> call back to the Row Garden book. Um because she, as like a trans evolutionary biologist, has a lot of really unique thoughts on this um, and um, has a very long chapter in the introductionary section around the differences between sex and gender mm-hmm. and gender being something that is socially defined. Right. Um, and then sex being something that is more biologically rooted and refers specifically to gamete size thinking not only about breaking the breaking down the ways that we're viewing gender through a queer ecological lens but also the ways we're viewing sex and like the very real cases that there are lots of species that have diverse sexual dichotomies and i mm-hmm. feel like we see that a lot in the plant kingdom right mm. with um like individuals who are repro- reproduce asexually or mm-hmm. who have both male and female they have pistil and stamen mm-hmm. um either in the same flower or in different flowers on the same plant mm-hmm. um lots of different ways of organizing sex biologically speaking right and that happens with worms that happens with a lot of critters in the animal kingdom as well but then there are also a lot of species that have more than two distinct social gender roles Mm -hmm. um and i'm thinking of sunfish who have three male genders in their social system um based on size that are all sexually mature male individuals but serve different niches <laughs> socially that are distinct um mm. and yeah it's my god to think about. thank you so much yeah I, we 
we are social scientists in every nah, every sense of the much. word, and you are the missing piece in this conversation that we so desperately need yeah. because we are amateur philosophers and <laughs> we are not at all biologists right so you are supplementing our lack of biological knowledge and also slaying it in the <laughs> in the theory department so yeah. i feel like i i also um adhere more closely to like humanities and arts but I'm glad that my scientific pers- perspective for what it is Girl, can, she's be, there. can <laughs> be got... helpful. Yeah. That scientific perspective thick as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cricket. I think possibly it might be. Yeah, I'm really glad that we talked about the the history of that knowledge mm. um, a little bit before I got into gift giving because I think especially a lot of these narratives and the narratives that we just explored are like they've kind of been created under a patriarchal look at science and biology and like the way that that's affected um, the way that we've had to define sex and gender and everything that you just talked about. Mm. And um, I think here's the penguin bit um and i think penguins are like gay penguins in particular are something that i have just like heard about casually for a very long time like it's almost like a joke to straight people like oh gay penguins so excited to talk about this penguins give each other gifts penguins Mm -hmm. love to give each other gifts Mm -hmm. and so do i Mm -hmm. um and i think gifts again are like something i think it's the weirdest love language because it's rooted in kind of that same expectation that we talked about for valentine's day like what Mm -hmm. is a gift like how does capitalism define gifts Mm -hmm. and um how does nature define gifts and Mm -hmm. we can talk about like the gift economy with like nature and trees and we've we've talked about that before Mm -hmm. but i wanted to talk more about like specifically animals because this is an animal episode Mm -hmm. um and so gentoo penguins give one another really pretty stones to show their love Mm -hmm. and this is like their form of courtship and so um one penguin will present a shiny pebble to the other and they both bring one another pebbles until their little nest is built and that's where they put their like their offspring and um i think about this from the movie happy feet oh my god (laughs) in the movie happy feet they like bring all these cute little pebbles to Lovelace who is like I guess their king I haven't seen this movie in forever yeah it's been but years I just remember that that was like they had pebbles mm-hmm. and I guess this is because everyone is always like oh penguins mate for life penguins mate for life um which is really interesting because that's kind of like pushing monogamy onto penguins <laughs> and like who knows if that's actually true if they like are monogamous mm. but um I guess it, infidelity in in a lot of penguin uh, groups means that you are like banished from the colony. Like they will literally banish you from the group for being, for like cheating. Damn. But like, what is cheating? I don't know. Yeah. I think that a lot of online communities need to take note (laughs) of their support for celebrities on these penguins. Hmm. Um. And so this is like setting the stage for like, okay, penguins, they have these behaviors, they give each other gifts. And that's like a very definable behavior of like love, I suppose, to people like, oh, you're giving each other this pebble, you love this person, you're mating with them for life. Mm. And so I think that's because we are so able to define queerness 
in penguins because that's like a behavior that we can recognize as like love mm-hmm. um whereas like i think of a lot of these other examples like the foreplay and stuff like we don't have like little fins that like we're like pushing into each other's <sighs> genitals so it's like more difficult to like <laughs> to anthropomorphize that for like the general population i guess does that make sense yeah okay so i read this tufts university article called what's with all the gay penguins <laughs> And so there were these two penguins, Roy and Silo, uh, two chinstrap lovers from the Central Park Zoo. And they started incubating a rock together and they were like raising this rock. And then they um, started incubating a fake egg together. The zoo gave them a fake egg. And then eventually the zoo gave them a real egg to incubate together. And now they're raising their daughter together named Tango. And Tango's also a lesbian. Yeah. So shout out Central Park Zoo, I guess. <laughs> but I'm like, where did Tango come from? <laughs> yeah. Did y'all just like egg rob somebody? I know. Like, damn. All right. Um, also in 2019, uh, Rocky and Marama hatched a baby Gentoo penguin at the Sea Life Aquarium in London. And this baby um, made further waves after the aquarium announced that it would not be assigning the chick a gender. <laughs> so, like, it's so Girl. interesting how they, like, these zoos are, like, capitalizing. They're both capitalizing on the fact that these penguins are queer. And then they're also, like, trying to hide it. You know, like, what, what What are your thoughts? In my opinion, I just think that, like, we... <laughs> I'm sorry. Gender equity amongst animals, I feel, can take a back seat to, like, gender <laughs> equity amongst human beings. I know, it's kind of crazy. Because I'm, like, looking at this and I'm like, okay, so we can, we can, we can say the gender doesn't matter to chicks and, like, penguins but it it still matters to us right and it still matters writ large so like this is just a a symbolic thing so to me it doesn't really mean a whole lot but i all also i acknowledge that i am a very cynical person and so like if this like to me this is just silly right it's it's cool it's It's just silly silly. (laughs) yeah it's just it's to me it's so silly i'm like okay (laughs) i mean i think If I was a kid and I was at the zoo and I was like, why is that chick have like they said that they gave the chick a purple tag Mm. um, and didn't use like a gendered name. Uh, And so like if I was a kid, I'd be like, why is that? Maybe maybe then I'd be like, oh, penguins are gender neutral. And then I'd go home and have like a gender crisis maybe (laughs) in fifth grade. I don't know. I mean, I think there is something to be said about the conversations that it starts, you know, right. like I, like it said, I think it is silly, but I, I do see. But they are capitalizing off of it and <sighs> creating this identity for these penguins that does not now exist. Now we have a non-binary penguin. Right. So come see our non-binary penguin. Right. <laughs> I think that, that, that this example is also um, distinct in that it's looking at um, animals in captivity. Right, mm. exactly. Which always um, behave a bit different. Which I, I just wanted to name that as mm. a relevant part of the discussion. Right, exactly. Like these behaviors that they're exhibiting exist like in captivity and outside of captivity, but the way that mm. humans are uh, 
capturing these behaviors and capitalizing off of it and mm-hmm. turning it into the narratives that we are putting onto them mm-hmm. is um is interesting. Mm-hmm. 100%. So that's my bit. Okay, bit. And now I think we're gonna we're gonna do a little discussion on polyamorous birds. Um, and quality time. In quality time. Right. Yeah. Most importantly, <laughs> I'll be discussing quality time. <laughs> My brain. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about polyamorous birds in regards to quality time. So I'll be talking about the Eurasian oyster catcher. She's a marine bird found in salty marshes, beaches, and estuaries. These birds are an example of polygyny, which is a form of polyamory. Um Polygyny is basically a system which in a male has multiple wives. Mm. Um, and so the wives? Oyster... What are they getting married? No, They're literally. Having a ceremony. Ce- yeah, ceremonies, receptions, honeymoons, <laughs> all of it. They're having family drama at the reception, all of they it. They go down to the courthouse. Yeah. They throw their flowers behind the head. And the, the whole next night. bird is gonna be the next yes! one to get um, yes! multiple wives. Yes, <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, that's so fun. Um, so these oyster catchers take on mating systems known as threesomes, which have two forms: aggressive and cooperative. So the aggressive threesome system involves two females who compete and protect respective nests, while a single male protects an area that encompasses both of the nests. Whereas a cooperative threesome is a bit more interesting. Um, the two oyster catchers, the female oyster catchers, will share a, net, a nest in which they will both lay their eggs after mating with the same male. Not at the same time, but same male. Um, the offspring are raised and protected by all three birds. And I thought that this represented a form of parenting and co-parenting, as well as just, you know, other relationship systems outside of our norms. But that are realities for a lot of families, um, especially ones that don't fall into like a cishet nuclear family system structure type thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, to a degree, this does toe on the line of physical touch with, you know, the interactions and the mating and such. But I think that it also touches on how like different forms of parenting and co-parenting and family systems are so common within a queer community. Mm -hmm. Um, and so these things can be, you know, replicated within nature and polyamorous couples aren't strange for that. Like, it's not weird to have two dads or two moms or two parents um, or even three parents. Hell. So I just thought this is an interesting way to relate quality time and relationship systems um, back to nature. And last little point, um, in addition to bottlenose dolphins that I discussed earlier, there are some dolphins in Burley Head National Park in Australia and they have a rigi- really cool um, relationship with the indigenous Kambamari sw- uh, saltwater people of Australia. So they have a mutualistic reciprocal relationship between indigenous people, their fishing, and then the dolphins there. So the local hunters will take all their supplies to the ocean and just start slapping the surface of the water and make really loud noises. And so these noises travel underneath the surface of the water and are amplified and signal dolphins to chase those fish up to the surface of the water where the fishers could catch them in their nets. And so in return, the Kempamari people would also give them some of the fish that the dolphins helped to catch. That's so cool. So I think that this, again, is another form of quality time because it doesn't just focus on 
the human world or the more than human role world, but addresses the interactions between the two and mm-hmm. interconnections between the two. Um, and so quality time doesn't have to necessarily be within your same species. Um, you could, you know, go co-fishing with a dolphin and have quality time with them. Right. And yeah. I think especially a fishing as a quality time activity is yeah. super specific to these people and mm. the way that they define their their livelihood, their culture, culture their mm-hmm. family systems. Sure. And so the fact that they are involving dolphins mm-hmm. in that system is really magical and special. So and um, Like what? They still do this to this day. Like I couldn't imagine what, just sitting there watching this happen and yeah. just being so like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I know. I thought that was dope. So Miss Forrest, words of affirmation. <laughs> <laughs> words of affirmation. Yeah. So... As we were planning for this episode, um, we kind of noted on words of affirmation kind of being a more uniquely human love language because it has the necessity of language um, more so than the others. So I kind of wanted to take this, this love language as a space to kind of explore like what does queer ecology do for us in affirming Mm. queer and gender divergent and um, non-conforming expression Mm. and Mm -hmm. love Mm. Um, and kind of looking a little bit at like our human queer history um, and kind of contextualized by bell hooks all about love Mm. um, and by biopower um, and what that does to and for us as queer people. Mm. Yeah. I think that this is a pretty like generalizable queer experience, but um, being met with narratives that like our identities and our ways of being are something that is unnatural. Mm. Is that something that makes us inhuman, a creature, an animal mm-hmm. which has kind of an interesting duality to it or mm-hmm. or alien mm-hmm. um in moving through this world and this society and like what that does to us psychologically in the way that we learn about ourselves and the wor- way that we learn to love ourselves i'm thinking of this quote if i can find it promptly uh, on love and romance partic- particularly an interrelational kind of love hooks writes so many seekers after love are taught in childhood to feel unworthy that no mm-hmm. one can love as they really are and construct a false self and kind of this this idea that queerness is something that is unnatural to be ashamed of or to change really deeply affects like our our way of learning about love and i think Mm -hmm. something that's really beautiful that the narrative on queer ecology does slash is doing is is affirming us Mm -hmm. actually like those things aren't true Mm -hmm. like your queerness is not only beautiful but it is also natural Mm -hmm. and like However you feel love, express love, receive love, we can see that happening in mm-hmm. other communities of this more than human world. That's not to say that it is true just because that it exists um, mm-hmm. outside of ourselves, but there's just 
there's just an affirmation that comes through that. And I think learning about and connecting to the animate world through a queer lens has been something that's really powerful for me and mm-hmm. something that I'm really passionate about sharing with others. Mm-hmm. You know, I think to like a a queer history of like of like running to the cities to find community with each other and kind of this correlation between more remote spaces and communities and more conservative ones mm. and how that running to the city does that really beautiful thing about bringing queer people together um over shared experience over over like a shared space and Mm. that sort of togetherness but it also at the same time does like separate us and ostracize us from Mm. from the animate world um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think a lot of what i find myself thinking on is trying to hold both of these things together at once that there is really beautiful power power through finding queer community in urban spaces Mm -hmm. in a queer bar like with that really rich and important historical lens of togetherness through trauma and sharing in that kind of experience but also how can we imagine ways that we can find queer community without fleeing the land that Mm. that um roots us right and how can we actually try to find that where we are Mm. and i think that i think the internet does a lot um for that and i think (laughs) that the more and more resilient that we become and the more we are able to connect with each other, the more and more we learn from and through each other. Hmm. Thinking of this Patagonia quote, um, she says, I think I told myself for years that the queer experience is to run to metropolitan environments for safety, for community. The outdoors is such an essential place for any queer person to discover places of who they are, versions of themselves that are way more aligned than maybe the body they were born into or the identity they held on to because of society. And I think that nature does affirm us in that way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's like spiritual awareness and connection that comes through that or if it's just the the solitude of being alone with your thoughts however Mm. that manifests for each person i think that those are really real parts of why why nature is queer and why it should be important to us as queer people Mm. and you know yeah i'm kind of getting lost in my thoughts a little bit (laughs) Um, no, I fucking. You said a lot of really. You cool said shit. a lot of really I, cool shit. Yeah, um, like <laughs> as somebody who grew up in a very very rural place and yeah, loves both of us, yeah. yeah, loves 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 the outdoors. I like living a city life. Like feel a huge disconnect between mm-hmm. like myself and the natural world because like accessing a green space that like truly leads to solitude is so hard. And at what point, you know, is queer ecology just a lens uh, that queer people can use to return back to that relationship with nature when they find that, you know, yes, this metropolitan, this urban environment is great and is so affirming. But at the end of the day, like, 
when I walk into a forest, there is no pressure to perform gender. There's no pressure to, you know, perform a personality because nature doesn't care. Like you are just a part of a system that is just going when you're out mm-hmm. in a forest. Um, the, your individuality or your perceived individuality just like completely fades away. And I think that there's so much freedom within that. And so, I, yeah, I think queer ecology is absolutely a lens to return back to um, back to nature. I think it's a, a tool to return, but I think it's also a tool to recognize the way that mm. um, queer community is recreating culture mm. even in urban environments. Mm-hmm. Because when you talk about like, if, if I could get into urban ecology for a second, mm-hmm. like you start realizing that the binary between city and mm. country is a binary and Doesn't, the yeah. um there is plenty of ecology and um systems that are being formed and recreating and transforming all the time in your city cool, yeah. and um i think the strongest point for like recreating what we see and maybe more of a like authentic experience out in the woods or whatever um and you bring that into the city Mm -hmm. like you were saying like we migrate to the city and you're finding these communities you are recreating those systems that you find so magical out Mm -hmm. in the forest because Mm -hmm. of the all the ways that we've discussed today like all the ways that you're like creating love and Mm -hmm. loving one another and supporting one another and um i think it's so beautiful and eloquent for you to say that like um, for for this to be the focus of words of affirmation because sure. yeah. I think in a way you're saying kind of like that queer ecology is the word mm-hmm. of affirmation um, almost as if it's like you know how people are like the bible is the word like mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if the bible is the word of whatever then the queer ecology the God, yeah. is the word of um, affirmation yeah Hundred percent, and Beautiful. like it directly addresses the ways in which we've been removed from nature. I think um, instead of like, I, don't, I think giving a name to something allows us to really pick it apart in a lot easier ways. Um, obviously, yeah. labels to some extent don't serve us a purpose, but I do believe like in this instance, like putting a name on that allows us to really like pick it apart in a way that we may not have been otherwise. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I have one more. One Please. more thing that I wanted to name. Um, this is um, a really beautiful quote that I've gone back to for like years now um, by Soen Pinar of Queer Nature. Um, they write, um, the binary doesn't need to be destroyed, but rather blown open and expanded to reflect mm. the complexity of our mm-hmm. ecological and celestial kin. Mm. I stand for queerness that is inextricably informed by interspecies solidarity, by lichen, dust chorus, swamp, coral, microbiotics, soil. It is a devotional practice of decentering our human centrism to continually expand in our collaboration and remember that our queerness is a disruptive, remediative fruit of the earth. Mm. And I find myself with that quote a lot, kind of tying more things back together. Um, I think of like the expanse of all the different life experiences that a being could possibly have, let alone like thinking a little more narrowly, 
all the different ways um, one could experience being queer and all the different ways that we can hold space for that. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times the queer community spaces that exist don't do the best job of welcoming and including um, all different types of queer people and all different things that people could look like um, or act like or feel like. And absolutely something that I feel really passionate about with my drag as like taking this role as like a community leader. I really like to challenge the ways that spaces I am existing in is holding space for others, the way the ways that like what we call queer spaces oftentimes actually what we mean is cis male gay spaces Mm -hmm. so kind of questioning what does it look like to make these more inclusive towards femmes towards Mm -hmm. um like people on the ace spectrum Mm -hmm. toward people who are neurodivergent and queer toward people who are queer and have a physical disability. Mm-hmm. Um, because in all these different ways, like what we call a queer space and a queer community isn't accessible. Mm-hmm. But like connecting to queer ecology for me is a way of like sharing another option mm-hmm. of the way that we can hold hold space and hold community that is more accessible to more people period period i love when you have like a little monologue moment because i just kind of get lost and i'm like I do. uh-huh yes tell me more <laughs> i just you are so wonderful you need you a have, podcast you do need yeah. a podcast oh. <laughs> you said oh <laughs> that's a lot of work it, it is a lot of work <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was fucking beautiful. Yeah. I felt like a little kid in a candy store, but the candy <laughs> was just like a bunch of um queer affirmations yeah. and queer ecology. <laughs> it was it was a really good episode. Thank you so much for us. Uh, truly. Yeah. Thank you so much everybody. Um Forrest, do you have any where can where can people find you? What do you oh want? my gosh, you can <laughs> find me on Instagram at the forest floor. That's the forest with two R's. Floor, F L E U R. Floor. It'll also be um, tagged on all the uh, all the Instagram stuff. If Absolutely, you, you will be able to find Miss Fleur. please we will be sure to plug miss fleur yeah period um any any final thoughts happy valentine's day happy galentine's day happy palentine's day whatever it is to you i feel like i just went to church take me to church i've been on a hosier (laughs) kick lately but i think i just have a crush on him (laughs) 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 i need me a little irish man you know yeah a little irishman but anyways (laughs) Have a wonderful Valentine's Day, everybody. Have have a wonderful Valentine's Day. Yeah. And tell someone that you love them. Tell yourself that you love you. Right. And also everyone else. And And if that doesn't feel accessible, just try. Right. That's all we can do. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. 
I love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as being like, <laughs> you got to be accessible at the same time. <laughs> say it there. Well, with that. Say it back. No, literally. <laughs> we said, oh, shit, I got through my laptop across the room. Bending the arrow towards <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right. without further ado, goodbye. Goodbye. It was wonderful. If you liked our show, we'd love it if you could share it with a friend who might also enjoy it. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to follow and rate our show by tapping the three dots on our profile and then the little star icon listed as rate show. Just as a reminder, if you aren't following Out on Earth Pod on Instagram and TikTok, you're missing out on a ton of awesome visual guides, memes, and jokes to go along with the show. Also, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, starting at just $1 a month, you can gain access to ad-free listening, video episodes, bonus episodes, and on our second tier, you'll also get early releases and access to the community Discord. We would love it for you to email us at outonearthpod at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Instagram and we might read it on the show. Thanks again for listening. Together we can find joy out on Earth. We pay tribute to the indigenous communities whose ancestral land we are currently recording on. These include the Apache, Caddo, Tonkawa, and Wichita. We also acknowledge the tribes with a historical connection to this area, such as the Comanche, Kiowa, Osage, and Quapaw. Before statehood, we acknowledge that the lands surrounding Oklahoma City were originally designated to the Muscogee, Creek, and Seminole Nations. We recognize that this region once served as a hunting ground, a hub for trade, and a migration route for the Apache, Comanche, Kiowa, and Osage Nations. Today, the state of Oklahoma is home to 39 federally recognized tribal nations who were displaced due to settler colonial policies aimed at assimilating and murdering indigenous peoples. They have made Oklahoma their home. Out on Earth is written, produced, and edited by Cricket Kaya and Ashton Attic, hosted by Acast, music provided by Halizna. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.